Welcome to Navigating Pain, the place where we help 100 million Americans figure out how to get better. Thankfully, modern science is evolving, and in each episode, I'll bring on an expert, someone who works with patients like you with back pain, migraines, digestive issues, and more. Our hope is to help you get your life back. This podcast is created by Remedy, a science-backed program for pain reversal. See the description below for access to free tools and education. My guest today is the wonderful Dr. Mel Pohl. He's a family physician and has worked in chronic pain care for many, many years as the medical director of the Las Vegas Recovery Center. He's worked with people who have chronic pain and opioid use and uses the latest mind-body techniques to get people back to their life. Dr. Pohl, we're really excited to have you here. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Let's jump right into this. Could you tell us a little bit more about your background as a physician and working with chronic pain? Well, I'm a family physician uh, trained in Buffalo, New York, and uh, early on in my medical career, I started working with people who have drug addiction. Uh, I actually got a job uh, fortuitously as the medical director of a treatment center, and uh, it just grabbed my attention and my passion uh, professionally and, and personally. So I, uh, over the last 40 years, have been in some capacity directing treatment programs. Uh, I went to work for a place in Las Vegas called the Las Vegas Recovery Center. Uh, and about 10 or 12 years ago, the, uh, we, I got very interested in the fact that the opioid epidemic was sort of in full uh, cranking up you know, deaths and, and, and overuse so that what became a primarily alcohol treatment center morphed into a substantially opiate treatment center, people who were dependent on pain pills. And I realized that uh, half the people that were dependent on pain pills uh, were dependent on pain pills because of their pain, not because of a primary addictive disorder. So I got real interested in what we could do for those people because we would take people off their drugs and they would say, well, what are you going to do about my pain? And I would say, I don't know, <laughs> go back to your pain doctor, I suppose. And, of course, that was the source of the medications and a big part of the problem. So uh, we created a program called the Pain Recovery Program for people who had co-occurring uh, uh, substance issues uh, not necessarily always addiction, but using substances and being dependent on them and, and finding their life not going very well in addition to having chronic pain. And uh, I, that was really the genesis of my professional work. In, in the same time, my back pain got out of control. I have a bulging disc at L4-5, so in my travels to try and get relief from my back pain, I met physical therapists and acupuncturists and massage therapists, and I ended up engaging many of them in the curriculum at the center because they were either they were somewhat helpful to my situation. And I did that for the balance of my career. Just recently, I've taken a new job. 
at uh, a place called the Point Malibu, which is a treatment center, small treatment center that's very interested in treating people who have both pain and substance issues. And I'm just in the process of getting that program up and running. Congrats on the new job. Yeah, it's a little, little late in my life to be starting a new job, but here I am. That's inspiring. It's, it's never too late <laughs> to reinvent yourself. Keeps me young at heart. <laughs> yeah. So that's really interesting that you have people who are taking these opiates because they're in pain. Um, h- how do you deal with the pain because opiates are is supposed to be the treatment? Uh, it's interesting. I'm working with a patient right now, and when I began to explain the course of treatment, which was that the opiates are going to go away, her first question was, what are you going to give me for my pain? It turns out opioids, in a majority of cases, are making the pain worse. If if, If a person who has chronic pain becomes dependent on opioids, and that's kind of inevitable over the course of time using enough of a dose, then the pain is higher on the opioid than it will be when the opioid's taken away. Uh, There's several things that happens with opioids. One is that uh, the body becomes tolerant to the drug. So there's a mood-altering effect and a pain-relieving effect that actually goes away over time. And the only thing to do in response to that, if you stay on the opioid, is to increase the dose of opioid or find a more potent opioid. So, And that is the typical course of people who've been taking opioids for long term. Yeah, so there's this tough situation, right, where like someone gets it initially, it's helping, and then they maybe fall into the cycle, it sounds like. Yeah, and you know, when I, when I make this case to patients, and I do it all the time, yeah. Some of them are like nodding and they, they will tell me, you know, I, I had a sense that things were, were worse. You know, a year ago, my pain was pretty bad, but it's worse. It's, it's not better. And I'm, I'm on these pain medicines all the time. But I can't get off the pain medicine because when I've tried to get off the pain medicine, my pain shoots through the roof. That must mean I need the pain medicine. Yeah. Sounds like that's a pretty tough sell. What, how, what do you tell people who are first coming to you, kind of in that in-between phase? How do you help them or support them through that? Right. I tell them, trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> yeah, when that doesn't work, <laughs> uh, seriously, I, the most of the work that I've gotten to do has been in an inpatient setting in a drug rehab. So we get to use medications to blunt the withdrawal symptoms. And there are a a long list of medications, some for the symptoms directly, like for anxiety or uh, nausea or diarrhea or body aches. Uh, We can prescribe a a variety of different medicines. And then there are certain drugs that actually block the opioid withdrawal itself. Uh, One of them is called buprenorphine. One of the brand names is Suboxone or Zubzolve. And that drug is offered as a replacement temporarily and then gradually weaned down. And that can be over a week or two or three, depending on the the program and the person. We've talked previously about your five principles that you share with people when they first come in that kind of helps maybe ground some of this knowledge or information. Could you talk about those? Sure. Uh, So the, the first and foremost is that all pain is real. Uh, and, and the reason we start there is uh, 
that so often uh, patients come in in a state of being chronically misunderstood. Uh, and that misunderstanding uh, involves the doctor and the uh, clinical team, the psychologists often, uh, family often, employers, you know, social circles. Because people with chronic pain don't behave uh, necessarily in a rational, sweet-natured way for, for obvious reasons. You know, they're cranky and irritable and frustrated. And uh, the, the kinds of questions I get asked is, uh, you know, we're not sure if it's real pain or emotional pain. Which do you think it is? And I always say the same answer. Yes, it's real pain. Of course it's real pain. And what's less real about emotions and thoughts? You know, it's all chemical signals working inside this very complex organ known as the brain. You know, 80 billion brain cells are doing all their thing. Every microsecond of every second of every moment of every minute, you know. And during that time, we feel things and we think things and we remember things and we have perceptions of things, you know. That whole brain process is ongoing. And it turns out that that's that's the nidus of the pain experience, is the, our thoughts and feelings about chronic pain are what it's about. It's why surgery doesn't work most of the time for chronic back pain, because all we're doing is stabilizing the spine as if that's going to make the experience of pain any better. And it, of course, doesn't do anything for the brain. I want to dive into that a little bit more. So you're saying thoughts and feelings are creating all pain. Is this the case for when you break an ankle and when pain persists for longer, is there a distinction there? So uh, acute pain, which is what we might call functional pain, the purpose of pain, is a different animal than what we're talking about. I've been talking about chronic pain, longer than six months, which becomes a a self-driven cycle that happens up here. And I just had a conversation with a patient yesterday who has, he has a, a cervical spine crushed disc, a, a collapsed vertebrae and nerve pressure. So he's like, dude, it's not here. It's here. I feel it. It's right here. My muscles are tight. And I sympathize with that fellow because my pain is here. It's not here. And I understand that were it not for what happens up here, I would not experience this, and I would also not have the frustration and the anger and the fear and the depression that comes along for every patient, to some extent, every patient that has chronic pain. Uh, and it's those, those sort of add-ons, you know, the pain is here, but the brain's experience of pain and the add-ons that come, what's going to happen? Am I, am I going to be crippled? And what a, what a loser I am. I can't work. Our money is running out. And uh, that darn doctor and that person that left the floor wet so that I slipped that day. And, you know, blah, it, it, it's just this, this uh, ongoing cycle of, of, we call it the narrative, that goes along with the sensory experience of pain. And turns out that the, the emotional and cognitive parts of the pain are most of it. 80% is my, my rule of thumb. Uh, not all of it, but, but 80% of it. And if, if you don't deal with that 
in my clinical experience, you never get better, ever. Those are pretty hard thoughts to work with, especially if you've been in pain for, for a while. Um, how can how can you work with those? Like, what does the treatment around those look like? And is that a physical process? Like, are you working with those thoughts alone? Or is there something about those thoughts that are creating a physical reaction in the body? Well, the, yeah, well, as I alluded to, the, the person with chronic pain experiences fear as back pain. You know, when I get afraid, I brace. And when I brace, my muscles tighten. So my neck hurts or my back hurts. But the treatment is really looking at the fear and talking about what it is that a person is afraid of. And there are a lot of different therapeutic interventions. There's cognitive behavioral therapy, which uh, really is working with thoughts. Uh, there's dialectical behavioral therapy, which is a cousin of, uh, of cognitive therapy. It's one, it is a cognitive therapy, but it's more about distress reduction. Uh, and mm -hmm. there's a bunch of techniques that that, uh, mm -hmm. that clinical skill uses. Uh, and, and they use a, uh, an experience called mindfulness. Uh, I'm a big believer that, uh, paying attention to what's going on And learning to do that without judgment is the way out of this. So mm -hmm. noticing without any of the story that goes along with is the answer. Now, how you get there is you, you get some skills and then you practice. And they're not, you know, high-level skills. They're actually fairly simple skills that need to be exercised. The challenge is in... Uh, both instructing and learning the skill sets, but much more importantly is in sustaining those skills because we as humans tend not to sustain. You know, we can do something for a short period of time, but, you know, to be in it for the long haul every day for the rest of your life is, is fairly daunting. Uh, and, you know, to make it an hour every day for the rest of my life is almost impossible, so don't do that. Do 12 minutes a day. You know, if 12 minutes is too much, my assignment to this guy was sit for six minutes in the morning and six minutes in the evening. Let's start there. He's like, well, that's, you know, that's, that's nothing. Well, good. Do, do nothing for now, and then I'll see you Tuesday, and we'll talk about what the next steps are. What does the progression of these folks look like? Very variable. It, it really is uh, so much up to the willingness of the person Uh, you know, I, I have some people who glom onto the ideas, they see the truth of it, and they're off and running. And, and their improvement happens uh, incrementally and substantially within the first week or two. Uh, some of those people go on and sustain that benefit as long as they are engaged in this ongoing process. So, you know, uh, Remedy's a, a perfect example of a place to go and and sustain the, the, the effort because it's a, an easy, accessible route to, to do that. Um, if if the, the behaviors are not carried on, the, the benefits will be lost over the course of time. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't have a statistical 
figure to say how many patients do well. I can tell you that the people that do well do really well. I mean, like, you know, brilliantly well. Uh, on the other side of this, they find a life that they were uh, gone from. And, and, and a big part of that is being off the opioids. The third principle, by the way, is that opioids often make the pain worse. And we've already sort of gone into that in some depth, but I think of the family that um, arrived at our center. The patient had been there three weeks. I get a little choked up. The, the patient came out to the front desk and the woman said, who are you? I haven't seen you in 20 years. You know, the person that you, your eyes have a shine to them and your skin even looks different, you know. So that's the kind of things that we see. Yeah, incredibly rewarding, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so the third principle is about opioids, and uh, giving up opioids is a is a good potential uh, measure. Not 100% achievable, but achievable in a, a high percentage of patients as I've seen it. Uh, the fourth principle is that the treatment really needs to focus not on pain, but on function. So we treat to improve function, not what's the matter, but what matters to you, not how are you, what's your pain score, how are you, you know, how's your life, what, what are you doing? And, and again, with opioids, we see people's pain maybe goes from an eight to a seven, but they're, they're falling asleep in their soup, and they're depressed, and they're not sleeping well, and they're not engaged with their family. So it's, and, and uh, the third cognitive therapy that uh, Dr. Aria, our, our buddy, uh, who, who I, I've come to know very well, uh, uses his ACT, acceptance commitment therapy. And, and that's all about what's valuable and then what are you willing to do to get to that value. Um, and the fifth principle, my favorite, is that expectations influence outcome. And it really sort of underscores the power of the mind to make changes. You know, what you believe is going to happen happens because you believe it's going to happen. Uh, it's the principle behind placebos working. You know, people say, well, placebos are, are artificial, you know, it, it's it made up effect. Well, wait a second, wait a second. So let's, let's dissect that a little bit. I'm handing you a pill and I'm telling you you're going to have an effect and you have an effect. And it's not, a pill, and it's not because of a, an activation related to the chemical in the pill. What does that mean? That means your mind is as powerful as hydrocodone in 25% of patients who you, you know, compare hydrocodone to a placebo. So the positive me messages that come from our brain impact our, our, our life. And con conversely, the negative messages are very powerful. So I'm broken. Uh, I, I, my, my spine is degenerating at this moment. Uh, I, I, the pain is killing me. All those beliefs about pain are very impactful. Uh, so we have to really tackle the negative as well as lead in the direction of the positive. Yeah, beautiful. I've heard you talk about this concept of danger versus safety as well, which seems to tie in to what you're saying. There are negative thoughts and there are positive thoughts and there's a physical aspect to those. Um, could you talk more about danger versus safety? What, is, what does that mean to, to you so, and to someone else? So da danger is fight, flight, or freeze. You know, the sympathetic nervous system 
the activated part of our nervous system that we are all imbued with good because if a lion is coming you better get your spear or get the heck out of there you know uh, not a great idea to freeze but uh, you know if something is attacking a t-rex is attacking they they respond to movement so best to hold still and all of this comes obviously from a uh, evolutionary perspective from from very long ago in, in the way we were created. So we have this system that protects us from danger. Well, if that system is activated and there is no danger, or if that system is activated chronically, we perceive danger when there is none. And, and that's pretty typical of people who've s- suffered from trauma. Uh, and the kinds of trauma that happen, of course, are uh, major f- uh, sexual assault or uh, injury or accident or uh, witnessed uh, traumatic event. But we also see uh, a phenomenon called uh, medical trauma. So a lot of the patients that I treat have been traumatized by the medical system. You know, they've gone to the doctor, they've gone to the surgeon, the surgeon has operated, they went back. Surgeon said, oh, we missed this disc, we're going for the other disc. Then the disc didn't work, but so now we're gonna fuse your spine, and that didn't work, so we're taking the hardware out, and we're gonna put in titanium instead of stainless steel, and, you know, and, and medicated along the way. Uh, you know, antibiotics, uh, consequences, complications of surgery you know I had a patient whose ureter the the tube that went from the kidney to the bladder was accidentally cut during a spinal surgery and now that patient urinates into a bag that's traumatic so people are traumatized their nervous system is set on high you know turn the volume up three or four or five levels and that's the way they walk around the world and when the nervous system volume is turned up they're in pain so safety is the opposite of that. You know, safety is diminishing the signal from the sympathetic nervous system, and actually we are circuited, as you well know, with another nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, not another nervous system, but another f- part of the function. And, and so yeah. by taking a deep breath and exhaling, we activate the parasympathetic nervous system in the moment. And everything changes. And I do that exercise with people. I always aim to get some breathing done within a, a, a consultation. Uh, and, it, it, you know, it's impossible not to experience the change. I, mean, I had a patient I did that with, and he, he, he went from an 8 out of 10 to a 2 out of 10 in the moment. You know, the pain level went down intensely. And, and at the end of the, a minute of breathing, or maybe it was 30 seconds, I said, well, what do you think about that? He said, oh, but it's going to come right back. It's like, well, you have good news ahead because you have another breath right after this one, you know, and, and on and on, you know. So I think experiencing the improvement and then being willing, you know, that's you asked about that element, that willingness to make the shift. So, yeah, that's where I'm going to spend my energy, and I'm not going to be looking to the doctor for which medicine, but I'm going to really spend my time practicing meditation instead of medication, and, and how will my life change? And then, of course, the cool part is the results. You know, when things are beneficial, that's the, that's the, the positive reinforcement that people need to keep going. Right, 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 yeah. Um, 
last question. You've talked a bunch about the people you work with who are who have opiate addiction and maybe very severe pain. Are these principles or these truths, are they true for people who maybe just have run-of-the-mill back pain or knee pain or migraines that come every so often and, and they want something for that? Um, if dependence is not an issue, so if somebody's taking an occasional opioid, I have less concern about them. The, the key to watch is what's the trend, you know? Am I taking today the same dose as I was taking a year ago? If the answer is no, I'm taking twice as much, even though it's infrequent, then I would put, you know, a pin in that and keep track. Um, the, there's not an a absolute dose that says over this you're in trouble, but if the trend is to increase the dose over the course of time, I would want to be alert to that fact. Um, an occasional use of, a, of, a, of any medicine, you know, or alcohol or cannabinoid, isn't of grave concern to me. There is, however, one little nagging concern, which is if I rely on a medicine, then I'm less likely to do these other things. You know, medicine is a pretty passive activity. I just put a pill in my body and wait for it to work, as opposed to I take a, 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 a put energy towards the change. And we did one study at, at our center. It was very small, not statistically significant, but we looked at the patient's self-efficacy, the sense that I can do this and that I am able to function and I am able to walk and work and, and enjoy my life. And over the course of time, they started with a very low self-efficacy, and over the course of time, their sense of self-efficacy went up and their life got better. And in addition to that, their emotional state went from depressed, anxious, and angry to less of that. Uh, and the, the that was our correlate of improvement. So, you know, yes, I can take a pill and make me better, but that behavior is a whole lot less rewarding in the long run, I think, than learning how to meditate and doing a meditative practice in response to a migraine. Yeah, and ultimately people want function and I think they want to be empowered to take control of their life, to do the things they want to do, not be stopped by these things. And there's maybe a, a big difference between those two approaches. Yeah. And you know, I mean, if you're taking a medication, it's taking something external and changing the homeostatic balance of the body. It, it you know, it has to be done sometimes, but as a culture, I think we probably, um, err towards the side of more use of medication and less use of meditation, and uh, I'd, I'd love to see that change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last quick question. Do you have any uh, final words for, for people listening? Uh, no, I think uh, it's an exciting journey. Uh, just the, the optimism that I feel having worked with people and seen the results, I, I wish I could sort of hand that to the people that are listening because if you can believe that life is going to be better than your wildest dreams, life will be better than your wildest dreams. That's beautiful. We'll take that optimism, put it in our pockets. Um, Dr. Paul, appreciate you sharing your thoughts, experience.